Would you continue standing if you're able to and turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 8. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 8. Stand with a sense of honor that God has spoken to us in his word this morning. It was a wonderful set of songs. I just thought that just goes so well with this text. It's almost like it was planned. Uh, so many of the themes that we see in this text uh, we sung this morning. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 8. Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, from a Roman prison. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began in which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard you until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words, that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Holy Father, we uh, come before you now. Lord, we thank you that you guard us. And Father, you keep us. And Lord, we thank you that all of those promises that you have made will come to pass. Father, we thank you that even in the times when it seems like our faith is, is wavering or there's doubts, there's anxieties, there's fears that we have. Lord, we thank you that you hold us fast. And Lord, we know that because of the Savior that we have. Sinless Son of God who died in our place. And Lord, as we come to this text this morning, may you continue to fill us with your spirit so that we might guard this gospel, this good deposit, this good news that has been entrusted to us. That we would know it, that we would believe it, and that we would be convinced of this good news that you have given to us. Lord God, I ask now that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Living for Christ today, when you're seeking to, to live for Jesus and seeking to follow after Jesus in our day, 
in the midst of the culture in which we live, it's very easy to find certain reasons of which we might be ashamed for some of the things in which we believe, right? If we uh, compare how our culture views followers of Jesus and we listen to how followers of Jesus are described in the culture of the world today uh, around us, uh, they constantly want to shame Christians for believing what we do about the Bible, right? And maybe you are tempted today, or maybe you've been tempted in the past, or even maybe you've at times felt a sense of maybe shame when your co-workers or your family or your friends think that you are crazy for believing what you do about God and believing what you do about Jesus. Friends, maybe you're tempted to be ashamed of believing these very things that Paul is writing about here. It's very easy to feel that temptation in the world in which we live today. And friends, if you if you feel that temptation of, of, of a possible shame for believing what you do about Jesus, that, that he is the one uh, the one sinless Savior who came to save us from our sins and, and He is the only way for us to have eternal life and, and He has a, a way in which He has called us to live a holy life for Him. If you are tempted to shame, Paul has a word for you this morning. From those times when you're tempted to be ashamed or those times when, when we have to defend what we believe, Paul shows us here that a life that has been shaped by the gospel is a life that's not ashamed of Christ, but a life that shares in suffering for Christ and follows Christ's teachings. No matter how difficult, no matter how much shame you may, uh, you may be receiving from the culture around you, or, or regardless of what, uh, of what following Jesus, what those outcomes may be like in this culture that we live in, Paul calls us to live a life that is not ashamed of Christ, a life that shares in Christ's sufferings and a life that follows Christ's teachings to the very end, no matter the outcome. Last week, we, we looked at a life that has been shaped by the gospel. Uh, Paul was talking about the gospel. He's been unpacking the gospel for us various times throughout this letter. And we talked about a life that is uh, shaped by the gospel is, is one in, in which we are not ashamed of believing what we believe about Christ. So as we come to our text this morning, we're going to really see Paul begin to unpack this life that's shaped by the gospel and is characterized by those, those three areas in which we're not ashamed of Christ, we share in Christ's sufferings, and we follow Christ's teachings. And friends, these words that Paul has written to Timothy and now are passed down to us through the centuries these words are incredibly important for us today. We've seen a massive shift, really, in the last number of decades of how Christians are viewed in the public eye, haven't we? Yes, there have always been those times where uh, Christians may have publicly brought their own shame upon themselves because of some, pro some professing believers who are hypocrites and they do not follow what Christ commands. But overall, we've begun to see a shift in the way that all Christians are looked at in the culture in which we live. The last few years, we've seen a shift 
And, and, and you can see it often in the form of apologetics, in, in the defense of the faith. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to the, the, the president of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He was giving a talk where I was at, and he was talking about how there's been a shift in apologetics, a shift in defending the faith. And he said over the last 20 years or so, he said the area of apologetics where it mainly focused on Let's say like the historic reliability of the Bible, right? So do the words that we have, are they true? Are they, are they reliable? Was Jesus actually a real historical person? Is the Bible corrupt? Did Jesus really physically die and rise from the dead? He said that was often what the area of apologetics was, the defense of the faith was, was often in. He mentioned how he saw a shift in the defense of the faith, now not just being about that area, Still incredibly important, right? The historic truthfulness of Christianity. But he said now there's sort of a new emergence in the area of defending Christianity of whether or not Christianity is actually good and loving. Now many skeptics, they're not too concerned about whether Jesus was a historical figure because they say, I believe he's a historical figure, but 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 that does that mean now that I can't do whatever I want? I can't live however I want? I can't be whatever gender I want to be? Do you mean I cannot love whoever I want to love? He said that, that, that what they're doing to train their students in the defense of the faith is not just the historic truthfulness, which, hear me out, is incredibly, absolutely important. We cannot, if the Bible is not true, if Jesus was not a real person, we have no hope, right? But we've seen a shift now in people saying Christianity is not good for you. Following what Jesus says is not good for you. Really, it comes down to they just want personal freedom, right? Which is ultimately rebellion against God. You know, and it's easy when we look at the culture around us and we see this constant weaving in of immorality, right? Constantly in media, the constant pressure by the culture around us to to bow to the latest uh, gender identity push. It's easy for us who want to follow Jesus faithfully. It's easy for us to get discouraged. Maybe even be tempted to feel ashamed for believing what we believe about what God's word says. But friends, Paul's words here to Timothy remind us to truly live a life that's been shaped by the gospel. We must not be ashamed of Christ. At times, this is going to lead to suffering. At times, this is going to lead to persecution. At times, this will lead to public shaming if we follow his commands. And friends, Paul truly lived a life that understood the ramifications for following Christ's teachings, didn't he? You read about how he's been imprisoned. You read about how Paul had been beaten, how he had been shipwrecked, how he'd been stoned with stones and that people had often tried to kill him or throw him in prison. He understood the weight and the ramifications for truly following after Jesus. He understood that one that is committed to following Jesus would be a life that suffered. And remember, as we saw last week, Paul is writing these words, uh, these last words of his in 2 Timothy, these final words to Timothy. He's not writing these final words while he's taking a mud bath in the Dead Sea, right? He's not relaxing on the shores of a Greek isle. No, he is riding in prison because he is a follower of Jesus. He actually says he's a prisoner for the gospel, a prisoner 
because he would not bow to the pressures of a godless society all around him. Paul lived these words. It would have been easy for him to renounce them, right? And live freely. But that would have been unfaithful to Jesus. We stand in a day in which we are feeling many of these pressures, and honestly, they're only going to continue. Paul lived these words, and he wanted all who confess Christ to do likewise. So as we look at, at, at verse 8, and we begin to unpack verse 8, we're going to see that a life that is shaped by the gospel is a life that's not ashamed of Christ. Look at this. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Actually, that, that's not just Paul suggesting that you live this way. This is a command of Paul. There are a number of commands that he gives in these verses. And this first command is that, that, that he would not be ashamed. You see, he begins verse 8 with that, therefore, it's connecting us back to the previous exhortation. Uh, the previous section is grounded in verse 7, which is what? He says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So the fact that we shouldn't be ashamed of Jesus is grounded in the power that God has given us, in, in the fact that God had given Timothy a spirit not of cowardice, but of power, love, and self-control. So Paul's encouragement, his, his command, his exhortation here is that we would not be ashamed that we would not be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is that testimony? Well, as he says here, it's the gospel. It's the message about who Christ is and what he has done. So the Christian has no reason to be ashamed. Why? We should not be ashamed of Jesus because of what he has done for us. Right? He has saved us from eternity in hell for the punishment that is due our sins. So we have no need to be ashamed of him. In fact, Jesus himself says that we should not be ashamed of him. In Luke 9, 26, Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. So friends, are you ashamed of Christ? Are you ashamed of Jesus? Are you ashamed of what he teaches, what he commands, and what he calls us to live like? If so, then you are not truly a follower of Christ. And friends, the world's mocking of Christians is nothing new. right? They mocked Jesus. They persecuted Jesus. It has gone on since the beginning. They mocked Jesus. They mocked his followers. And that continues to this day, doesn't it? I was reading uh, a, 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 a sermon on this passage, and the, the pastor was talking about how in, in Rome uh, there is uh, an ancient graffiti called the Aleximenos Graffito, which I'm not good with Italian, so that was my best attempt. And it's from about A.D. 200, so about, you know, A.D. 200, uh, so about 1,800 years ago, it's located near the Palatine Hill in Rome, which is where uh, the, the Roman palace was, where Caesar lived. And it's this ancient graffiti. You can look it up if you can spell it. Uh, you can look it up. Again, not right now in service, but when you get home. Uh, 
you can look up that ancient graffiti, and it's this picture on this wall that's now in a museum. It's this picture depicting a man hanging on a cross with the head of a donkey. And then under it, it says, Alex Zemanos worships a god. Now, what is that likely an allusion to? What is that likely mocking of? It's mockery of what we as Christians believe, right? This ancient Roman graffiti was mocking Christians. It's been going on ever since, right? And for the world around Christians, they could not understand how the God-man, Jesus Christ, could die on the cross. It was foolishness to them. It was mockery to them. And it's foolishness to this lost and dying world today. But as Paul writes in another one of his letters, he says in 1 Corinthians 1.25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So friends, we have no need to be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord because of what he has done for us. He has done what no one else can do. He has delivered us from a life that is destined for eternity in hell. How through faith in him, we might be delivered from that punishment for eternity. So Paul says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. But then he also goes on to say, nor of me, his prisoner. Not only were people making fun of the message that Paul believed and that Christian believed, but, but they're also making fun of the gospel messengers. Not only were people making fun of the gospel message, they were also mocking the gospel messengers. At various times uh, throughout church history, there would be these cowardly, self-professing Christians who would not stand with their brothers and sisters in Christ for fear of being persecuted. And Paul is saying, do not be ashamed of me. Do not be ashamed of being related to me, of, of associating with me, because of who God has called me to be. And this is what has happened to Paul. In, in verse 15, we see that, that in, he says, everyone in Asia turned away from me. They were ashamed of me. He, he talks of those who were turning away from him. Also, you know, in, in, in verse 15, being Phagellus and Hermogenes. Later in, in chapter 4, verse 16, he says, all deserted me. Many who were once with Paul have left him. And in an hour of great need in prison, they left him all alone. And friends, we can easily face that same temptation today as well. To not stand with a believer who does not decide to compromise on their Christian beliefs. Maybe at work or at school, someone begins making fun of mocking somebody for believing in Christ. Saying that's that way of thinking is so dated. Friend, what will you do? Will you join in the ridicule and laugh like the crowds? Or will you stand firmly and not be ashamed of who Christ is? And not be ashamed of a fellow brother or sister in Christ? So what we've seen so far is that a life that is shaped by the gospel is one that is not ashamed of Christ or his works. But now we're going to begin to see as we continue in verse 8, it also shares, a life shaped by the gospel is one that shares in suffering for Christ. Look at me at verse 8. He says, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 
And, and Paul goes on to explain the gospel in verses 9 and 10, which we'll look at in a moment. But a person whose life is shaped by the gospel will also suffer for the sake of the gospel. And this something, this suffering is something we haven't really had to endure in this country, right? Well, there were times actually in the early colonies where you can believe it, Baptists were actually persecuted by other Christians for, for not being endorsed by the state. What we have had in our country over the last few centuries is it's been a life of relative ease. But those tides are shifting, aren't they? The Christian life does not mean an absence of suffering from your life. There will be great difficulties. There will be great hardships. And Jesus, in fact, was truthful about that. And he constantly promised that. He even said, blessed are those who are persecuted, right? He said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. But notice that this suffering for the sake of Christ is not a suffering that we face on our own. We could easily skip over that last phrase of verse 8. You see what Paul says? He says, by the power of God. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. It's meaning that we're not alone in our suffering for Christ. It says, by the power of God. Meaning that, that we're not alone. God strengthens us. He sustains us and he empowers us to endure. As we just sang a, a couple of minutes ago, when I fear my faith will fail, what? He will hold me fast. Believer, you're not alone in your suffering. God is with you. You suffer by the power of God. Him keeping you, sustaining you, and helping you to endure and and then paul goes on and he describes this power of god for salvation this is by the power of god who saved us and called us to a holy calling so we see he's unpacking this good news the gospel the power of god uh, that he sustains us in so god saves us right we have done nothing to save ourselves god saves us and we see that, that this salvation doesn't mean you just go on and live However you want to live, right? He calls us to a holy calling. This this holiness is is being set apart from the rest of the world. That is why the world ridicules and mocks Christians because we are not meant to look like the world. And he goes on and he explains further, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. This is a beautiful description of of God's power in saving us. He doesn't save us because of our works, because of whether how good we are. No, no, no. He saves us not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Because, friends, if it was left up to our own works, we would have no hope of salvation. And then he goes on. He says, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know 
whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This message that Paul describes here, he's saying this message is worth suffering for. He says God will guard him. He says I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard. Friends, have you believed this? And are you convinced of this gospel, of this good news? And Paul goes on to say that God is guarding those who do. God will guard, and it's truth that God will guard is why Paul and us today have no reason to be ashamed for believing in Christ. He says, I know whom I have believed, Jesus, who saved him and called him to this work. Therefore, he has no reason to be ashamed. So, friends, have you believed? Have you believed in Christ as your only hope for salvation? Paul knows who Jesus is and that it's because of what Christ has done for him that that he might be saved, that, that he is able to be saved from the punishment due his sin. He knows Christ. And that is where his trust and his faith and his confidence is. But what about you? Where's your confidence? Is it in your works? Is it in yourself? Is it in something else? Salvation is not of works, but it's due to God's purpose of grace. Which again, brothers and sisters, is why we have no reason to be ashamed of Christ. Who is able to guard. Paul's confidence here is not in his own abilities. It's not in his own talents. It's in God who will guard him. Even while he sits in prison. Isn't that an interesting thought? Notice he didn't say he's a prisoner of Rome. Right? He's a prisoner in one sense of God and God is guarding him. Even while he sits in prison, he knows where he stands before the one true God. Even if the so-called God Caesar kills him, the one true almighty God will guard him. Even if Paul loses everything, his freedom, his life, God will guard him for all eternity. His life is hid with Christ on high. So we see that that a life that has been shaped by the gospel is a life that is not ashamed of Christ. It's a life that shares in suffering for the sake of Christ, for for making this good news known. And then we also see a life that is shaped by this gospel follows Christ's teachings. Look at me at verse 13 and 14. He says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So a life that's been shaped, a life that's been transformed by this good news is a life that is dedicated to Christ, is willing to suffer, and sometimes that suffering includes following Christ's teachings even when it's hard. You must stay faithful to the message that you have been given from Jesus. Look at the way that this message of Scripture is described. Sound words and a good deposit teaches us about the nature of the Word of God. It's sound and healthy and it's good. Nothing about these words that we have in front of us in the Scriptures will lead us astray. In fact, if you were to turn over to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, 
Paul writes there and he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God or, or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Friends, there's nothing about these words, the words of Christ for which we are to be ashamed and none of them will lead us astray. And notice we're called to follow and guard these words that have been entrusted for uh, entrusted to us. The word for following these teachings, it actually carries with it this idea uh, of holding fast. We're to hold fast to these words and be committed to them. And, you know, there is this this way of thinking that, that has crept into the church that someone can believe in Jesus as their savior and, and, and say that they're saved, but they just don't live for the Lord. Because we need to do away with that way of thinking that someone is a follower of Jesus, that they're a believer in Jesus, but they don't walk with him. Uh, I'm afraid that, that too often well-meaning believers, well-meaning Christians have used that sort of language to confuse people and saying that they love Jesus, but they're not living for him to make people comfortable on their way to hell. We, we absolutely, don't hear me wrong, we absolutely should have the same desire of the Lord that no one should perish, right? That, that God doesn't desire anyone to perish, but we cannot lie to people and tell them that they're good with God if they do not actively bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Instead of saying, you're okay living however you want to live, as long as you confess Christ when you were a little kid, but you don't have any fruit from that confession, we need to call them to faith and call them to repentance, not confuse them. As, as we see here, genuine followers of Jesus need to be committed to his teachings. Holding fast to these words of Christ. How can we say we, we love Jesus, but we're not actually committed to him and what he has called us to? Believer, we follow his words and, and we're, we're, we're supposed to guard them. And as we do, God guards us. Friends, God guards us. Our future is set because God is watching out and guarding us. Isn't that an incredible thought? Think about that. The, the God of the universe is watching over you and he's guarding you. And as we see in verse 14, that he has filled you with the Holy Spirit. That, that enables us to follow him and guard this good deposit that is entrusted to us, this good news. You know, last week we talked about guarding the gospel uh, because people have tried to, to, to falsely uh, teach uh, uh, about the gospel. They've corrupted the gospel. Uh, the, and that's not anything new, Right. God's word has constantly been uh, been questioned ever since Genesis 3. Did God actually say? But people have turned the gospel into sort of a self-help program. Just be a better person. Try harder. Do better. Or, or they turn the gospel into sort of a, a cheap trick of uh, a believe this and God will, 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 will bless you with health and wealth. So we must guard it. That's not the gospel. The gospel is what Paul is describing here, the power of God who saves us. 
and calls us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose of grace and grace. So we must guard it. And that is one of the chief responsibilities of pastors and elders of a local church, shepherds of the church. They are to make sure that what is being taught and what's being believed is in accord with the sound words and good deposit that God has given us in his word. And then he goes on and he describes some examples of those who did not keep the faith. He, he gives the, the two examples, examples of Fagellus and Hermogenes who turned away. And then he gives the one example of Onesiphorus who despite how hard it was continued to be faithful. These men, these two men are examples of what happens to those who do not stay faithful and uses them as an example of what happens to those who have turned their back on Christ. So friends, will you be like those who turn their backs on Jesus? Who were ashamed of Jesus and his teachings, who ended up not finishing well because they did not want to suffer? Or will you hold fast as God through his spirit dwelling in you empowers you to face whatever suffering and hardships come your way. And you know, friends, sometimes those hardships and sufferings that you face as a believer will be completely out of your control, right? Like persecutions. Or maybe you're mar marginalized for being a Christian in your workplace and you face all sorts of difficulties. Or maybe those sufferings and hardships are due to your own sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. Maybe you desire to live sacrificially for the sake of the gospel. Sometimes that means sacrificial giving. Right? In which you suffer for the sake of the gospel. Our church, as I mentioned at the beginning of service, we have decided to suffer in a way financially to give sacrificially. So much so that we really feel it. But we see that suffering in that way is nothing compared to suffering that our, some of our brothers and sisters face overseas. But we see that sacrificing, that suffering, is it, 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 we believe that the cause of the gospel and the support of the missions and the gospel going to the ends of the earth is far worth it. So friends, what is this suffering going to look like in your life? Will you be ashamed of Christ? Will you stand firm and hold firm to the good deposit that has been entrusted to you? A life shaped by the gospel is one that is not ashamed of Christ, but one that shares in the sufferings for Christ and follows Christ's teachings no matter the consequences. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. Lord, we thank you that you guard us and you hold us and that you keep us. Lord, even when it, it looks like the world around us has changed so much and changed so drastically, so there's so much outward and open rebellion that, that may have been more concealed, but now it's just so out in the open. Lord, we thank you that, that we don't have to be ashamed for believing what we believe. I pray that, that we truly would be marked not by a spirit of cowardice and fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Father, that we wouldn't be ashamed of Jesus. And that we would stand faithfully for
Father, we thank you that you are guarding us and that you are keeping us. Lord, I ask that if there are any here who have not come to trust and have the confidence and place their faith in Jesus, that he is their Lord and Savior, that they would do so this very moment. They would not leave here without knowing the grace and forgiveness that's found in Jesus Christ alone. I pray these things in Christ's name.